0: have missed it this morning my message i had thought was going to be what the blood says but i'll hold that for another sunday amen it's so good to see you here today why don't you take a moment and turn around to three people and just give them a great big holy ghost smile if you don't have the holy ghost you might be able to receive it while you're doing that it's a free gift oh yeah he wants to give it to everybody Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I I normally like for you to put your devices away while I'm preaching because I can't tell whether you're taking notes or sending messages. (laughs) But if you look around this morning and you see somebody that's not here, would you quickly text them and say, hey, you need to get online right now because the Word has a word for you. Not the pastor, but the word has a word for you today. Would you do that? Go ahead. You know somebody that's not here right now? Text them real quick and tell them you need to get online greaterlc.com and they can watch the rest of this service. I don't say that braggingly, but I do feel that uh, the Lord has given me something for this service, for this time. And I would... Pray that you would open your heart to that word of God. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Luke, Luke, the 14th chapter. And we're going to begin with verse number 15 reading down through verse 24. If you don't have a device or a Bible, oh my word, if you don't have a Bible, shame on you. But uh, if you have nothing else, you have this great big screen here to help you. And when one of them sat at meet with him, heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then saith Jesus unto him. A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. And he was honest and he said, therefore I cannot come. (laughs) We don't want to go very deep there. (laughs) So that the servant came and shewed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, "Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in." That my house may be filled. Verse 24. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you about the limp of the loser. Would you say that with me? The limp of the loser. Now I want to give you clarification on what that last word means. It is not a derogatory slur. It is used in reference between winning and losing. So when you think of that statement, think of it in those terms, the limp of the loser. God bless you, you may be seated. It's so important when you read scripture that you gather the context within which it was written for it helps give clarity and clarification to many of the things, especially when Jesus was teaching. It is so important that you understand the background, the backstory, so that you can gather uh, a greater understanding and a uh, meaning in what he has had to say it is always a teaching point the context in which jesus was at any particular time was always a context from which he could preach or he could clarify and teach an important point or principle concerning the kingdom of God. And it is important to understand the audience that you're dealing with. Now, I think I understand my audience today. I think all of you love me, and I'm going to keep thinking that way, even though some may not. I just mean that facetiously. I do believe all of you love me. And so I don't ever have to worry about getting up here even when I'm... Well, let me back up. I should have made this statement when I started. I don't know where this is going to end, so you might ought to buckle your (laughs) seatbelt. But Jesus often found himself in an audience of antagonism and he found himself in an audience where they were not receptive now all of you are looking at me and I think you're eager to hear everything I'm going to say I hope you're not looking through me looking to Dillard's or looking to uh, Luby's or looking to whatever's beyond church today but I, I would pray that you would actually hear what the word of the Lord but in in the situation in which Jesus often found himself, the, the audience was so primary to understanding the flow of, of what comes out of that particular moment. And if you read this chapter, if you start at verse number one, you gather an understanding of this context and the setting in which our verses of scripture actually took place and it simply went like this that Jesus was invited to come to a festive meal that was going to be put on by the house of a prominent Jewish leader who was most likely a chief of the Pharisee or one of the major players in that particular arena of uh, thought. And uh, it was also on the Sabbath day. So you have these two factors that play into what unfolds. And uh, as always, wherever he went, but especially in this context... Every eye was upon him to see what he would do, and every ear was attentive to see what he would say, for they were the Pharisees, they were uh, those who dotted every I and crossed every T. As a matter of fact, it was because of the Pharisees that the Ten Commandments became 6,599 ordinances that were connected. To, you know, mankind can can complicate the simplicity of God's words by trying to make their own additions to it. And I'm just here to tell you that the unvarnished word of God works every time, all the time, any time you can... Take that word and it will work. And so here is this audience of Pharisees. These men who were, they were groping at every word so that they could catch him in some fallacy of the law. Or some breaking of of their pride and vestige of law. And so they were watching every move he makes And when Jesus arrives, guess what happens? The first person he runs into is a man who has what was called droopsy. In our day, it's edema. It was the swelling, the fluid buildup in the body so that the hands became overly swollen and the feet became overly swollen. And so here is this man who is suffering and obviously in a great deal of pain and discomfort. The Bible said he came face to face with him. It's what the literal translation means. When he stepped into the room, right there before him was this man, whether he was planted there. Some scholars believe that the Pharisees may have planted him there just to see what Jesus would do so they could get him on another violation of the law. And so Jesus does what he does, he healed him. And when he got through healing him, he said, hey, I have a question for you guys. And all eyes were on him and all ears were attending because they were gawking. And I could imagine that behind the scene, they were said, did you see what he did? Did you? Did, did you? Do you real? And they had their list out already, checking off all the things he had broken. And he said, "I have a question for you. If your child or your oxen fell into a well, would you get him out if it was on the Sabbath?" And the Bible said they were silent because everybody in that room knew that if it was their child or their oxen and it fell in the ditch or it fell in the well on the Sabbath, they themselves would do that. And so he moves from that healing of this man and sending him on his way. The next thing he noticed is the jockeying around that was taking place in that room, trying to get in the best seat. And so he tells them this story. About how to go about finding your place. And actually, it was a backhanded rebuke. But after watching the behavior of these men, he launches into another parable about the invited guests and when you come in don't look for the highest seat because somebody else more important may come in after you get there and the the master of the ceremony will have to come and say sir you're in the wrong place and then you have to get whatever's left and you're embarrassed so he said i'm going to teach you the proper way when you come in Come in and just find your place and let them elevate you to the highest place. And so he gets through with that and then he turns to the man who was hosting this event and he kind of gives him a backhanded rebuke when he talks to him about who he picks to come to these great festive ceremonies and these meals. He said instead of you inviting the who's who, why don't you go about and invite the who's not? Go find the vain and the halt and the blind, those that can't help you back. You see, all you're doing is bringing people in that can pay back what you're doing for them but the real gesture of the kingdom and the real principle of the kingdom is that it's not about how you can advance yourself but how you can advance the kingdom of god and how you can advance others in your life and so he 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 tells him (laughs) that Next time you throw a a party, you you need to go out into the byways and the hedges and invite those that couldn't do anything for you because that's when you're really going to be blessed. If you want to know when God will bless you the most, is do something for people that can't do it back to you. That's just side notes. I'm not even to my thoughts yet, so I better hurry up. Now, all of that had taken place before we arrive at verse 14 or 15. And by that time, somebody in the audience is deciding, hey, we need to take the stage away from him. He's taken over our party. He's taken control of the agenda that we had planned for ourselves And so one of them jumps up and said, Oh, by the way, blessed are those that will be a part of the kingdom of God in the future. And in essence, he was contradicting what Jesus had just been saying by what he had been doing because he was telling them, in essence, the kingdom of God is not coming the kingdom of God is here and this is how the kingdom of God operates this is the the, these are the principles you prefer others you 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 put others in front of you you do for others that cannot do for you you give unselfishly and you find those that cannot help themselves and in doing so you are doing the principles of the kingdom. And so here's this guy, he jumps up and said, blessed is one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And it was in reference to the future. And Jesus looks at him and said, oh, sir, you missed it. The kingdom's already here. It's here right now. And that leads him to launch into our story. And so he tells this story of the man who prepares this elaborate feast and he sends out invitations ahead of time. They, it's important that you get that because this was not Uh, a situation where people just didn't know and somebody calls them at the last moment and said, hey, we're throwing a party, we want you to come and you've already got other commitments. They actually gave them a date and a time in the future when that event was going to happen and so they were well aware of when that time would come. And finally after all of the preparations and uh, some scholars believe it was perhaps a very lengthy time that took place between the invitation and the actual uh, gathering together of that festival. The Bible said that he again sends out his servant to bid them who were asked to come to tell them who were bidden to come that it's now time. Please come. And strangely enough, these individuals who had been given prior warning and they knew it was that date, they should have put it on their calendar. They the Bible doesn't say that they had forgotten it. It simply says that the first one that they came to said, Oh, I'm sorry. I can't come. I have bought a field and I need to go check it out. And so he goes to the second one. And lo and behold, this one said, oh, I'm sorry. I can't come. I have bought some oxen and I need to go try them. And so he makes his way to the third, and again, the third response was, Oh, I'm so sorry. I've, I've married a wife, and I can't come. And so the servant returns home to his master, no doubt a little uh, disgusted and perhaps worried about what, what was going to happen. What, what's going to come of all that you have prepared? And, and the master said, I tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go out of the, and I want you to bring the maimed and the halt and the blind. I want you to bring them in. And so he did. And after they had gathered all of the invalids they could find in the community, they, they, they came back and said, sir, there's still room. He said, go out. And get everybody. The main everybody. I don't care who it is. Drag them in here. Bring them in. Compel them to come. Because I want my house to be full. And then he makes a statement. That is so profound. And it is so powerful. That we have to take a moment to stand on it. And explore it. No one. I'm reading from the Passion Translation, verse number 24. No one who received an invitation to feast with me and makes excuses will ever enjoy my banquet. Let me read that again. No one, who receives an invitation to feast with me and makes an excuse, will ever enjoy my banquet. That, my friend, is a very startling statement. Now, I know that most of the connotation is in reference perhaps to what is yet to come. But I believe without violating the scripture and the meaning of the scripture that there was more that he was alluding to than just the future. I believe there are present banquets that we miss. There are present blessings that we forfeit, that He has prepared for us, and we miss them because of one simple human thing that we're all guilty of at some point in our life, and that's excuses. Excuses. We've all made them. Some of us are making them right now. We use them for different reasons. They become what we consider to be the reason for not doing something. The reason that we are not doing something. And we all have made them. We have all hid behind them at some point in our life. Some of them are not so major. I do not want to... uh, This is real silent right now. I might need to tell a joke. I did have a list of Reader's Digest excuses that people made for not coming to work. And one of them, I remember, says, I woke up and I was feeling so good this morning, I didn't, come, I didn't want to come to work and spoil that. <laughs> anyway. All right, it's a little better in here. We hide... Behind these reasonings of our mind that in reality become a great hurt to us. And they cause us to miss so much. So much. We don't realize how dangerous and damaging their effects are on our lives or even our future. And we get so accustomed to making them that we fail to realize what's falling by the wayside in our life of the banquets that God has prepared for our lives of blessings and joy and peace and contentment. And he has invited us, but for some reason, Known to our mind, but not understood by God's. We keep ourselves back from those things that God has prepared for us. Where do I begin by exploring this? And when I thought about this, I looked up and I found out that psychologists place this habit of excuse making in the category... Of what they call self-handicapping habits. Self-handicapping. Now listen, you need to get that. Because all of our excuses are usually founded on someone else or something else. But the reality is. They are self-destroying. They are self-limiting. They are self-handicapping our lives. And is there anything more damaging for me in my life than me to self-handicap myself? I know that's not good English, but our handicaps become a distraction. They become and serve as a distraction from the reality of life and what's really the best. And this is how I believe I could best describe excuses. Excuses become the ruts that the mind gets stuck in. And they're hard to get out of. They say that in Canada, there are signs along the roadway, especially in the wintertime, where a lot of the highways are not asphalt or concrete, but they're gravel and mud that the the heavy trucks that travel that way make these deep, deep, deep ruts. And they go for miles and miles and miles. And they say that there are signs posted along the way that says, choose your rut carefully. You will be in it for the next 40 miles. But excuses become the ruts that our minds... Get stuck in. And we know that there's a better way. We know that this is not good for ourselves. We can't keep blaming everybody else. We know that the reason for our unhappiness, it can't just be pinned all on our spouse. It can't be pinned all on our neighbor. It can't be pinned all on our boss. Many times it goes back to the simple fact that somewhere along the way we allowed our thinking to get Rutted in this groove and once you get in this groove, it's hard to get out of it. And you go for miles and miles and miles and it seems like there's opportunities to get out. But it, it takes a lot of effort when you get in a rut. You really have to work on it to get out of it. Ruts are graves that have been... That have had both ends kicked out of them. is what they really are. They're graves. They're terminal. And many of us are in one today. We're in a rut. How long have we been there? Only we know. It could be our attitude. It could be our spirit. It could be in relationships. It could be In so many areas, I don't even want to explore all of that. You're going to have to let the Holy Ghost talk to you. But I believe God's talking to us right now. Whatever that rut is, this is what I need you to understand. It is that rut that is keeping you from enjoying God's best for your life. He has a banquet that he has prepared for you. He has blessings that are bountiful. When you come to the table of the Lord, you don't come to a sparsely uh, filled table that has one vegetable and maybe one fruit and one meat. When you come to the table of the Lord, it's flowing, overflowing. I mean, you can't put enough good. There's, there, there's meats and there's vegetables and there's fruit and there's All the cakes and pies that you want to eat with it. Because God is a God of abundance. He never does anything part way. And so when God puts the table on, it's full. It's full. It's full of everything you need. Everything you could need for your life right now. And yet because we are trapped in this excuse. And here's how it goes. I want you to notice how, how how easily you get trapped in excuses. All three of these things were legitimate things. None of them were bad. They weren't evil. It wasn't like going out killing somebody or committing Harry carry or, or murdering somebody. These were viable things. I mean, everybody, if you're going to buy a, a piece of land, you want to go check it out, see what all you purchased. Uh, you, you, you buy an oxen, a team of oxen, you're going to want to make sure that they can pull like the owner says. And, and obviously if you marry a wife, you do have an obligation to her. You see how the, the mind operates? It finds those things in life that are reasonable and it keeps us from the Supernatural. It keeps us from the abundance. Oh, but Brother Hughes, you don't understand me. You, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I have had to experience in my life. But I want to ask you a question. What's holding you in the rut that you're stuck in right now? Is it a hatred that you won't let go of? Is it a hurt that you won't forgive? Is it a failure that you just can't seem to face in your own life? Is it a bitterness that you will not release? Is it a sin that you will not acknowledge? What is that rut that has you bound up in it today? That's keeping you from really enjoying All that God has prepared. Because see, Jesus was telling them the kingdom is not coming. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now, which means the table is spread. It means the abundance is already available. You're not going to have to wait to heaven to get the blessings of God. You're going to, you're not going to have to wait until you're translated to enjoy the abundance of God. You're not going to have to wait until you get wings and a halo. You can enjoy them right here, right now in this life. If you understand that they are available to you. And so excuses become the ploy by which we hide ourselves. To avoid doing the right thing. They are the crutches that we use to prop ourselves up. Someone said that excuses become the crutches of the uncommitted. But we limp our way through life thinking that this is the best it's going to be. And God said, oh, if you only knew what you were missing. Amen. An excuse, listen to me. An excuse is a way of poisoning the possibilities of your future. Whatever God has planned beyond today, must less what he's got already prepared for you. I'm just telling you, I'm I'm not being arrogant right now, but I am walking in the Holy Ghost when I tell you that there are things that many of us are missing right now simply because we are stuck in some rut and we cannot seem to get out of it and we can't seem to find a way to get out of it every once in a while you have to start looking and if you look you'll see that somebody else has gotten out of this same rut and they've made a track so if you follow their track you might be able to get out of it you can get out of it And even if you don't see somebody else's track out, why don't you make your own track and decide, I'm not living in this any longer in my life. Excuses build barriers that impede my progress. They become the walls that divide us. From people that really love us, but are not allowed to. Whoo! Amen. Amen. I, I need to delve into that for a little while. They are walls that divide us from the people that God has placed in our life, not to irritate us, but to encourage us. And the truth is, every person in this room today, God has created to be an encourager. A helper. Because he speaks about it often in scripture. Encouraging your brother. Lifting up the hands that hang down. Strengthen the feeble knees. Yeah. That's what the Lord has commissioned us to do and be. We're a body. And my body does not wake up in the morning and say, I I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. My left hand, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I don't like what you look like. I don't like how you're acting. Even when my left hand and arm is not acting right, my body still does not cut it off. When there's something going wrong in this part of my body, the rest of my body rallies together and says, hey, we got to go help that left hand. It's, It's in trouble we got to help it. We, we, it'll die if we don't stay with it. If we don't keep the blood flowing in there. If we don't keep the carpuscles and all that going. We, it'll die if we leave it to itself. Come on. Come on, guys. Let's get over there. Let's help. we got an arm that's hurting right now. That's what a church body does. That's what a family does. And some of us are being held back by some lame excuse. Because we don't want to be that Fluid that flows into another part of the body because it might bless somebody that we don't want to see blessed. I told you you better buckle your seatbelt. Excuses shift the focus from the real truth of life the stories that we invent about life you know it's amazing as a pastor what all you hear by the way there's two that knows more than anybody in this building today one of them is God and the other one's me And neither one of us are talking. Now maybe one of these days, I need to break the silence and tell what I know. But that's not God's way. God realizes that as a human, I make mistakes. I put myself in situations that I shouldn't. I do dumb things. I do a flat out stupid thing sometimes. And I need forgiveness. I need some latitude. I need some mercy. Sometimes people are not in the best place in life. And the trouble is, if we're not careful, we paint them into that and we think that that's the way they are and they'll be that way for the rest of their life. And here's the truth. This is a God gospel truth. That there are things that have disrupted our life 20 years ago. That we have still somewhere lingering in the back of our heart or in the back of our mind or in our thoughts. And we forget to realize that 20 years later, we're not even the same person we were 20 years ago. And neither was that other person. Neither are they. But here's what happens because of our excuses. We keep everybody trapped. We never give anybody the opportunity to do right. We never give anybody the opportunity to make a wrong right. When we trap them in our excuses, we never free anybody to be able to be healed of the damage that they have caused in our life. That's why it's so important that we understand how damaging our excuses can be and how they hurt us. They are self-limiting. They are self-limiting. They are self-handicapping our lives. And the truth is today that the only thing standing between you and victory are the excuses that you keep holding on to in your mind. They're not, well, I'm waiting on somebody to do something. I'm waiting on some wrong to be made right. I'm waiting for this to happen or that to happen. I have, I have some things I have to do. I have some responsibilities. I, I have an obligation on me here and I miss The very best. I have to hurry on. Excuses will always be available in my life. Listen to me. Excuses will always be available in my life, but opportunities will not. Excuses will always be available. But the opportunity will not always be there. Because there is a time when the door closes. The Lord waited and he waited and he waited and he waited. And they lingered. They lingered. They heard Noah preach, they heard the fervency of his message. The end was coming. A flood was coming, but they just kind of laughed and smirked and said, you know, that's old Noah. He's kind of gone fruity in his old age. And they waited and they waited and they waited until finally God said, Gabriel, close that door. And God closed that door. And an amazing thing happened. Hey Noah, hey Noah, this is John. Remember I'm your next door neighbor. Hey, hey Noah, this is Sam. I I live across the street from you. Hey, hey Noah, hey Noah, are you in there? Let us in. Jesus tells the parable of those along the same lines. And the announcement was made. That something was going to happen, a banquet, a wedding. And the Bible said they waited. And this is the most profoundly staggering scripture to me I've ever read. They waited until the door was shut. And then they began to knock. Those doors do close. You know, we don't like preaching like this in our modern church. It's got to be a three little point good feel good sermon and let's pep up and let's rah, rah, rah and let's go on and, I, and, and we just put a band-aid over a cancer but this is the kind of preaching that will cut a cancer out if you'll let it. Here's what you need to understand. That there are doors of opportunity that are going to close in your life and in my life and they may never come open again and they may never come my way again. That's why I can't afford to wait another service or another hour or another day to put those excuses to the side to get out of my rut. And get on with what God has planned for my life, and to enjoy the blessings and the provision that God has made for me. Come on, stand with me. I, I'm not quite finished, but I feel like I need to close. Back that the, an excuse is what keeps the backslider. From not coming home. An excuse is what keeps. The offended. In their offense. An excuse is what keeps the hurt. Holding on to the hurt. And not being healed. An excuse. Is the reason for which we. Give for holding on to our anger, our bitterness. They are the joy stealers of life. Amen. They're the joy stealers of life. And you know what I've discovered in life? They come out so effortlessly. I love to play golf. I make a bad shot. (laughs) Look at my club. Brother James, you know what I'm talking about. He doesn't ever look at his club. Look at my club. I look at my golf shoes. I look at at something. You know, they come so easy. But this is what I've learned about life. Excuses never lead to me getting better at anything I do. When I first started playing golf, hit a bad shot. It was always somebody's fault, something's fault, some issue. It never was the guy holding the club until finally one day I realized that if I was going to ever get better at this and quit being annoyed by it and enjoy it, I was going to have to stop making excuses and learn how to get better. Some of us are not far from the kingdom. And I don't mean that In a negative way. I just mean that we are so close to a breakthrough. We are so close to a restoration and a healing. We're so close. Some of you have let things that people have said about others get so lodged in your mind that every time you see them, that's all you think about. And get this, you failed to think that you might have been misinformed. Or better yet, maybe that's just that person's soured opinion about that other person. But because they planted that seed in us, we got stuck in that rut too. We're not far. So I'm going to ask you this morning, what's your excuse? What's your excuse for not forgiving? For not being willing to be forgiven? What is your excuse? For not loving the way God loves you. is your excuse. more, More importantly than that, what are you missing right now that God has prepared for this hour, for this time in your life? God saw this season of your life coming a long time ago. Before you ever got here, God saw this season of your life. And so he filled this season of your life with a banquet table full of things that would bless and help and strengthen and encourage and keep you going. But because we got in this rut. A while back, oh, brother, use it just the way I am. I I just—it's just me. Well, could I ask me a question? Is me tired of being in a rut? And missing out on all that you're passing by as you go down this highway of life that God has prepared at every... You see, some of us have the opinion that if we just strive and strain and we press and we toil and we labor down here, then God's going to smile on us and he's going to bless us. And in heaven, there's just going to be this huge banquet table and we're going to be able to have all of these things. And while we're doing that we're sailing down the highway of life and, and we didn't even realize that, that, that this is the day the Lord hath made and he said, you need to understand what, what I make. I don't make junk. I make heavens. I make stars. I make moons, I make lakes, I make live rivers, I make trees, I make forests. Uh, I make fish in the streams, I make deer run in the field. I make all the abundance of the fruit of the field. I make all of that. And I'm I'm missing them. I'm missing them because Come on, somebody, help me. Let's let's get out of this rut today. Let's get out of this rut. Today. Let's let's find a way somehow, climb out of it, crawl out of it, crawl over that pew, get past whatever person's got you blocked in, and say, "Hey, I'm getting to an altar. I need a breakthrough. I don't want to get. I, I don't want to spend the rest of my time." Going down this highway like this, I know that there are greater things that God has for me. And I don't want to get stuck in this and miss another day of joy, another day of peace, another day of fellowship, another day of blessing. I don't want to miss another day. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah.